Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Don't live in sandcastles. The commercial fall of Babylon. Let me see by a show of hands how many here this morning have ever built a sandcastle. How many of you consider yourself a good sandcastle builder? How many of y'all, okay, we got one by there. Some of you like to get the shaped buckets and get the, the trowels out and make the edges nice and sharp. And then some of you just like to slap it on there and see what happens, right? But I can remember the frustration of putting so much effort into a sandcastle, eventually it would be washed away by the approaching tide. Now, instead of building sandcastles, I watch others build them, only to find the same end. Sandcastles can be beautiful, but they are temporary. Did you know the tallest sandcastle is 57 feet tall? It was made in Germany on June 5, 2019. The longest line of sandcastles is 1,924 feet, and it was done in Belgium in 2018. The most sand castles built in one hour is 2,230, and that was done in July 2013 in Germany. So with those records, that's truly impressive. We have some people that are really good with sand castles. They provide a great object lesson, however, for our scripture today. Just like these sand castle builders, we place all of our life, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into building our lives. There's nothing wrong with that if we build with a faith in God mentality. You see, we must be able to say, everything I have is on loan from God. Everything. This is not to take away the effort that you and I must put into providing for ourselves and our families. But at the end of the day, God is the ultimate owner of everything. He is the creator of everything. And he gives and he takes away as he sees fit just like an incoming tide to a sandcastle. Between chapter 17 and 18, they are real downers, but hold on, because beginning with the next chapter, we find the realization that we all hope for. But in today's scripture, we see the other shoe drop on Babylon. Last week, the city of Babylon represented the fall of the one world religion, and that was instigated and destroyed by the Antichrist. Today, in Revelation 18, we see the city of Babylon representing the fall of the world's economy, of government and infrastructure. So with that said, let's jump right in. Verses 1 through 3, we see God's judgment of the world is announced by his angel. God's judgment of the world is announced by his angel. Join me with verse 1. It says, After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. And he gave a mighty shout, Babylon has fallen, the great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul and unclean spirit. She is a hideout for every foul vulture, every foul and dreadful animal, unclean animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. That means that the whole world, kind of like a drunk, gets into a stupor and, and they kind of get 
under the influence of a bad, a bad substance. The world has gotten under the influence of sin and become drunk with it. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. So, as we see those first couple of verses, let's just start by saying the angel. It says the angel was, was glowing, that it was radiating light. That means that this angel had great authority because the angel was from who? From God. Okay? Also, he radiated light, which means he was fresh out of the presence of God. If you go back and you look at when God visited Moses or when at the Mount of Transfiguration where they came down from the mountain with Jesus and, and his head was glowing, they couldn't even look at him because they were in the presence of God. This radiant, beautiful light was bringing light into a very dark place. And his shout, the angel's shout was unmistakable. The thing is, is when the angel brings this news, whenever he brings it, everybody is going to hear it. The angel was fresh from God's presence, and the state of the world here is too far gone. We always like to be the optimistic and say, well, you know what, there's always hope. And for a believer, if you are here today, until the end times, until the great tribulation, I will tell you now, there is hope for you. But when this happens, there will be no more hope. There will be no more Respawns, there will be no do-overs, there will be no mulligans for my golfer friends. It will be over. The state of the world has gone too far. We know that because it says Babylon is fallen, the great city is fallen. When the Bible repeats words like that, it's for emphasis, meaning that it's a big deal. The repeating of the phrase shows the intensity and the depth to which the world has fallen into sin under the leadership of Satan. The Antichrist and their legions of demons. Look, I, I've been like many of you. We get together, we talk about how bad the world is and what politicians are and are not doing and what, what all these other, all the things that are going on today. But folks, this is baby stuff compared to what's going to happen in the end times. Demons and idolatry are going to run around unchecked by any moral code. Like a drunk who is impaired by alcohol, those remaining in the world do not realize the depths of their sin and the judgment that awaits them. And Babylon, the world, was consumed with themselves. They worshiped false idols and placed faith in what they owned. You ever known somebody that everything is about them? They're a one-upper. If you've done, if you ran one mile, they ran two. You know, if you went to Myrtle Beach, they went to Myrtle Beach and Cancun. If you read your Bible verse this morning, this person has memorized the Bible. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's always one up, one up, one up. That kind of person can be very frustrating, can't they, unless you're that person. It's funny, the one-uppers never consider themselves one-uppers. Maybe that's the way they one-up it, (laughs) even again. But the thing is, is that we all know that there are people that it's their world, we're just living in it. And it's easy for us to point them out, isn't it? But truth be told, all of us have a little bit of that in us, don't we? We like things our way. Baptists call them traditions. Ouch, that stung a little bit, didn't it? (laughs) But it's the truth. But here's the thing. Whether it become with worship or your family or your career or whatever you're going in, let me share this, this thought with you, my friend. 
Making yourself the sole focus of your life will blind you from focusing on others. If you make the whole world about yourself, if you're spending so much time looking in the mirror, you're not going to look out the window, if you know what I mean. I see people that, that they are so consumed with themselves and their problems, and the best thing I can get them to do is start thinking about somebody else. Because, my friend, if you start thinking about somebody else, you're no longer dwelling on yourself. But this world that that people will be living in will be all about themselves, with no regard for another person. In verses 4 through 5, we see that God warns believers to separate themselves from the evil world. It says in verse 4, Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as the heaven. And God remembers her evil deeds. It's kind of funny when verse 5 says that her sins are piled as high as heaven. Babel was also the nation that tried to build the Tower of Babel. They tried to, to build a tower that was so great that it could reach to the heavens. And so now the writer here is saying, look, you thought that you were going to reach the heavens with your tower. You see what God did with that. He struck you with different languages and no one could talk to one another. But now your sins are stacked all the way to the sky. Believers should never feel at home in an evil world. Romans 12 says that we are to be transforming this world, not conformed to it. John does not mean that the believer cannot find peace in this world. But his point is, if you are tempted or trapped by the sins of the world... You better get out now before it's too late. My friend, I'll tell you what. I didn't grow up on the farm, but some of y'all did. Any of y'all ever see pigs get in slop and, and mud? Boy, they love it, don't they? I know even with our some of you that have dogs and pets, the a surefire way that my dog's going to roll around in the grass is if we just gave them a bath. Because they cannot stand to be clean. But here's the thing, is that they don't know any better and the illustration here is, is that, folks, if we are in the muck and the mire of sin and we don't see ourselves as being different, being called apart to be better than that, then we are going to be just like the pig in mud and we're just going to wallow in it and love every minute of it, but yet be dirty. Throughout Scripture, the church is commanded to separate itself from all ungodly things. The reason the church is becoming so impotent today when I say the church, I mean the church as a whole. It's because nobody can tell the difference between those that are living for themselves and living for Jesus. Because the church, in so many situations, has watered down the Bible, has watered down their living, and has become just a place where you have a pep rally and go home. That's going to be what it's like during these days. And some people are getting a head start on that. Next we see in verses 6 to 8. God instructs those who will carry out judgment upon the earth. So now he's instructed, and this is how it's going to happen. Verse 6. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with the torment and sorrow. She boasted in her work, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. So finally, what we see here is we are seeing a balancing 
of the scales. As we see God's judgment unfold, it's not time for the believers to tell everybody, Ha ha! I told you! We read the Bible, we knew this was coming, nah, 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 nah. You're going to get judged. You're going to hell. No, that's not what we need to do. The thing is, is that the judgment is a result of the people, the choices that people make. We should not rejoice that people are being judged. We should rejoice that judgment is coming, though. Because that means that everything that we've worshipped, the blood of Christ that was spilled for your forgiveness, all of that means something at this point when judgment comes. If it didn't mean every, if it didn't mean something, everybody would get a trophy at the end and nobody would be sent apart from God. But that's not how life works, regardless how much people want to say it does. When John writes double her penalty in his day, the only time someone's penalty was doubled was if they were a thief. And my friend, the world has been stealing the affections of the church and its members since the day it was began. In this passage, we see the sins of the world. There's three of them. Number one, idolatry. Long before the Great Tribulation, the world exchanged the truth of God's word for the lie of public opinion. And political correctness. Many of you don't know what the Bible says, but you know what your favorite politician says. You know what your baby, favorite Facebooker or TikToker or uh, tweeter or and all that other kind of thing. You know what in your favorite author. You know what they all have to say about what's going on. Your favorite anchor on TV. You know their viewpoint. Do you know what the Bible says about these issues? Where it says to love God and love one another. To be salt and light in this world. To make a difference now so fewer people are being judged when we are reading about the end times here. Also, pride. It said that she glorified herself. The world is all about itself. It likes to promote how good it is. And also, it's self-indulgent. It's all about luxury. It's all about he who dies with the most toys wins. What do you win? It's about making sure that you have the lifestyle, the American dream. But here's the thing I want you to understand. This does not mean you cannot have nice things. But it does mean do not let the things you own own you. Do not let the things you own own you. Some of you are strapped from month to month. You are not... Looking at paychecks and savings, you're looking at payments. And then you're probably looking at something else. What else can I buy to get my payments in the rain? You will be making payments the rest of your lives. But yeah, you're going to have to work for that. You're going to have to spend time away from your family to support that. You're going to have to spend time away from the church to support that. You're going to get white and gray hairs trying to support that. You're going to put stress on your body trying to support that. If all you want to do is own more things and fill your garage or your house or your she shed with all of the great things that you can accumulate. But they're not going to last. Don't let the things that you own own you. Again, it's not a sin to own nice things. I'm not going to ask every one of you to come meet with me and we're going to pull out your checkbook and decide how much you need to give to God and what car is godly and what car is not godly. We're not going to do that. I would never do that. 
It's none of my business. But the truth of the matter is, is that whether you are a Ford person, a Chevy person, a Honda person, or you just want to be like Jesus and walk everywhere he went. Those things are not what owns us. Jesus Christ owns us. And whatever you have in your garage or your driveway or your house or whatever you call your stuff, make sure that you don't put your faith in your stuff. Because stuff will rot, it will break, and it will fade away. Take it from somebody that has cleaned clean out the houses of both sets of parents. I will tell you how much junk has gone to the landfill. That at some point, my parents thought, well, I can't live without that. One day your kids will do that to you too. One day somebody will do that for Donna and I. I don't know what they're going to find. But still, it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And Revelation 18 is helping us put that in perspective. So do not let the things you own own you, because it's here today and gone tomorrow. Look at verse 8. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Folks, just like the sandcastles we covered earlier, the Bible says that all people have devoted their lives to whatever they've devoted their lives to, will be gone in a day. Things that people have tried to amass for themselves over the entire lifetimes will be gone in a day. For those of you that have investments, you have seen over the years that if you never know when one news story breaks or one decision happens or one company does something, you can lose a lot. Many of you in here, and my parents included, I remember several years ago when the housing market crashed and the investments that they had, I don't know what they had, but I know that they said we lost a chunk of our retirement because this happened. Folks, we got to be careful what we put our faith in. Look, if you've got money, I'm grateful you got money. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you save it. I hope you come up with a plan that's good for you and your family. But at the end of the day, if you put your faith in that money, you are not guaranteed it's going to be there. Because, my friend, it can be gone in a day. Do you think, as proud as we are as Americans, we ever thought a microscopic virus could take out an entire world? But it happened. Here today and gone tomorrow. Then we see in verses 9 and 10, kings and kingdoms will fall. It says, And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from the charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment, and they will cry out, How terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came upon you. It's unsure exactly who these kings are. However, we know that whoever they are, they're going to be let, held accountable for leading people astray. Then we see the actual fall of commerce in verses 11 through 20. And this portion of Scripture is really straight to the point. It says in verse 11, The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her, for there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, and fine linen, and purple silk, and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thine wood, ivory goods, and objects made of expensive wood, and bronze, and iron, and marble. 
Today, I might say something to the effect that people have given all of their resources to own the perfect car, to own the perfect house, to wear the perfect clothes, to be adorned with jewels and gold and silver. All of these great things. It says in verse 13, she also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, wagons, and bodies. That is, human slaves. Well, we don't have slavery today. My friend, slavery is alive and well, not in the sense that we know from historically with our African-American friends and and. Many other places, slavery still exists today, but every one of us in here, in the words of Paul, the apostle, said that we are all slaves to sin. And this world was no different. It says in verse 14, the fancy things you loved so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment they will weep and cry out how terrible how terrible for that great city she was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens decked out with the gold and precious stones and pearls in a single moment all the wealthy city has gone i i've never been to las vegas anybody in here have been to las vegas okay a couple of you and uh, the thing is, is that, but what I've heard and what I've seen on television, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in, at night, it is absolutely beautiful. I remember when I was a kid going to Myrtle Beach, the Grand Strand, back when they had the pavilion there. Some of my friends remember the Magic Attic. Boy, that was some, <laughs> got an amen back there in the back. <coughs> and the, the rides and, and the beach music and and. The hustle and bustle of the, the 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 Ferris wheel and the roller coasters and the people walking around, the Ripley's Believe It or Not building and all these great things just lit up and it's so beautiful. You could stay there all night through the morning. But when you when you saw it in the daytime, it was just ugly, dirty, run down. And can you imagine the city, the Babylon that they're talking about here, which is Right now, a desert portion over in Iraq. Back when Saddam Hussein was in power, he actually had plans to rebuild the city of Babylon. But can you imagine these beautiful cities that are going to lose their shine? And they're going to be seen for what they are. And then it says, and the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke, the smoke ascend, and they will say, where is the other, another city as great as this? They will weep and throw dust on their heads to show their grief, and they will cry out. Yep, the, the merchant ships will have no more product to move. The truckers will have no product to move. The rail cars will have no products to move. The stores will be bare. Our stomachs will be bare. And our wallets will be bare. The crops will be bare. Folks, at this point in Scripture, the foretelling of Revelation, this is the end. For those that are remaining, it will be the last stop. And it says in verse 17, And all the captains and the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. 
They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend. Verse 19, and they will weep and throw dust on their heads. Then it says, they're saying, how terrible, how terrible for the great city. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and the people of God and apostles and prophets. For at last, God has judged her. Folks, those that once had everything and all they ever wanted will live in eternity of punishment, desiring what they will never possess again. They will lose everything and spend an eternity wishing they could get back what they lost. Then we see in 21 through 24, Babylon falls. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone, and he threw it into the ocean and shouted just like this, The great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, flutes, and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsman, no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. Folks, this millstone, if you don't know what a millstone is, it was basically a large stone that they would use to crush the grain when they were getting it ready. And then they would put it on the winnowing floor where they would take this rake and they would put put it in the, the wheat and they would go in circles and the chaff would just kind of blow away and the grain would fall to the ground and then they would crush it with the millstone. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you the, the word illustration here is that this angel takes this millstone and throws it into the sea. It's going to sink fast. And it's reminiscent of Matthew 18.6. Do you remember Matthew 18.6? If you don't remember it, I'll show it to you. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Folks, one day this world will pass away like a great stone falling to the bottom of the sea with nothing being left but despair and desolation. I'm going to have to thank Holland Park Fire Department for giving us a great, <laughs> a great illustration. God, I just pray for them wherever they're going, that you would watch over them, keep them safe. And it's a reminder, Lord, that for somebody, they've got a crisis and things that they thought they had, they don't. So, Lord, may you lift them up and worship them. And not worship them, but bless them, Lord. But we see here is that the blood of the martyrs will be revenged. If you go back and look at Revelation 6, verse 10, it says, They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? And the answer is, you see it right here. The blood of the martyrs is being avenged, my friends. And on this day, they will get their answer. The world will reap the punishment for every drop of blood they spilled on God's people. So as we wrap this thing up, and as we get out of the worst of the worst part of the revelation, we see that we need to live in this world, but don't put your faith in it, my friend. Religion will fall. Government and commerce will fall. One day, it's not going to matter who the president is. What in the world are people going to talk about? 
It's not going to matter whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent. And it's not going to matter. It's all going to be gone. Judged and fallen like a millstone being thrown into the water. But be hopeful. These two broad topics of government and commerce that people devote their lives to will lie in ruin one day. But this, when everything, when it's scorched earth and everything is destroyed, then it gets good. Then Jesus returns. And that's what we're going to be studying in future lessons. It paves the way for our ultimate hope and heavenly home. And one of those, often those who have wealth feel comfortable, secure, and in control of their lives with no need for God. But this type of thinking is an offense to God and will bring judgment. To say that God made a mistake is one of the most offensive things you can say to God. If your faith is not in Jesus Christ today, I urge you to yield to his calling in your life. And if your faith is being choked out, believer, with worldly concerns, then leave them here today. But don't leave, or excuse me, don't leave, don't live in a sandcastle that one day will be washed away. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time together this morning, and I thank you for your word. And it's my prayer, Lord, that you would be with each person here. That, Lord, if they are putting things before you, that they stop that today. Because, Lord, it won't last. Only our relationship with you will last eternity. If there's someone that needs to reject all of their worldly things and return to you today, may they do that for the first time or the next time. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our invitation?